You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, literally wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at NolaJake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Friday, day after the Pelicans drop their opening game uh, that matters in the bubble to the Utah Jazz, a disappointing loss that we are going to break down from all angles. The Pelicans lost this one in a number of ways. They also could have won it in some other ways, too. And then... There's the Zion situation. Yes, we are going to spend a lot of time in today's show really looking at this. We are going like straight up conspiracy theory into sentences and comments that guys said because this situation doesn't make a damn bit of sense. Unless things are being withheld from us. Maybe they are. Maybe we'll have some clarity by the time you're listening to this. I don't know. But that is a weird situation. Zion just played just 15 minutes in last night's game. So let's dive into it all, like really dive into it all in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. So before we get into everything, I I do want to mention we've had a lot of new listeners of the podcast the past, especially two weeks. So if you're new to the show, whether you're tuning in for the first time today or you've just started listening recently, I appreciate you being here, tuning in, making me part of your day. And for the people that have been with me for the like since the beginning, we're close to 800 episodes of Locked on Pels, actually, um, or for any period of time. And if you stuck with me through the past 141 days where we haven't had basketball games, I greatly appreciate that, too. I'll be honest, there were days when I just had no desire to do this, that it was not easy to get up and just record and put out content day after day, even when I was going every other day. But knowing that you guys wanted it and wanted to listen was a big motivating factor and really kept me going. So you all helped me get through it, and I hoped that the podcast and myself were able to help you a little bit along the way too. So I just wanted to say I appreciate you all. Um, So again, if you're a new listener, you're a longtime listener, Thank you so much for everything. So we've got two big topics for today's show. Obviously, the game last night, right? We've got to talk about that, break it down. How did the Pelicans lose uh, to the Utah Jazz 106-104? That seems like it's the most relevant thing to lead with, right? Kind of. But Zion overshadows this. In Zion's 15 minutes, not playing late in the fourth quarter in crunch time to help this team get a win is the biggest story. Zion overshadows everything with this team because of the level of hype around him. Hell, the NBA put the Pelicans in the bubble to get Zion on TV. There's no doubt about that. There isn't. You know, they, they, there's Zion protocol, which is a thing. So I should lead with that. Don't bury the lead. That's a saying. It's a thing for legitimately, except we're going to save it, except we're going to do that. And I'm going to put it for the second half of the show, because by the time we're done talking with Zion, you're not going to want to hear about the game and we need to just do that. But I get it. You're all here for Zion, most likely here for Zion. That's okay. I would be too. We're going to touch on it. So make sure you listen through the end of today's show, because we are going to actually recap the game first. So the 106-104 loss for your New Orleans Pelicans is particularly frustrating. New Orleans had a 16-point lead in this one after being down by 11 to the Utah Jazz. They really started to turn it around in the second quarter, a quarter they won 34-25. to 
And then things really in the second half started to get away from him. So we'll look at the good and the bad with this and just kind of give you my thoughts on this game. Again, it's overshadowed like by everything else. Like None of this result kind of feels like it matters anymore, right? That's kind of my take on this a little bit. But it does matter because... The Pelicans need to win as many games as possible in the bubble. Bubble. We're not writing them off. It's stupid to say they may as well go home. 100% stupid to say that. There's no reason for them to. They've got winnable games coming up. They're potentially catching the Clippers at the right time. As I'm watching it, the Clippers are down seven to the Lakers currently. You also have trounced the Memphis Grizzlies a bunch. You've beaten the Sacramento Kings. You've got winnable games against the Suns and other teams as well. So, um, or sorry, the Spurs as well. So, this is fine. I don't think it's the end of the world. You're looking at five and three for New Orleans if Portland goes four and four. If they go five and three, you're looking at six and two. It's still on the table. So this team has four losses. I'm not going to necessarily count them out, at least this early on in everything that changes and goes down basically every day that opponents win. So they should have won this game. They could have won this game. But a lot of the problems with New Orleans all season long kind of reared their head here. Turnovers were a big one in this. In a game where Zion was excellent, by the way, um, at least offensively, he was 6 of 8 from the field, drained the one free throw he took, and finished with 13 points. 13 points in 15 minutes of action and on 8 shots is very, very good. They struggled at times offensively, particularly in the second half. Turnovers really doomed them in that. They had 20, uh, sorry, 21 on the night, basically gifting easy possessions and easy points to the Utah Jazz, who had 21 points off of those turnovers. The Jazz on the night shot 44%, 23.5%. They were 8 of 34 from 3. Their offense was not good. The Pelicans' defense was just bad, and unfortunately, the offense had some really bad turnovers where they shot themselves in the foot. Drew Holiday had six alone that really killed them and gifted some points to the Utah Jazz. You cut down on that, this is an entirely different game and it's winnable for New Orleans. These are unforced errors. The Jazz don't force a lot of turnovers. Gentry said this in his post-game comments. And so New Orleans just gifted things to them and that's not what you want to see and you're going to lose ball games if that's the case. And they did in this one. The other issue was the defense. Frankly, the Jazz weren't good in this offensively. The Pelicans' defense was just bad. The defensive rating looks okay in this when you look at the advanced numbers, but that's actually masking kind of the issue here. That's because Utah couldn't shoot. Otherwise, that offensive rating, defensive rating for New Orleans is going to be significantly higher if Utah hit some of the wide open threes that they were getting. Early on, when they struggled and New Orleans took a commanding 16-point lead in this one, Utah was just shooting threes and missing. They weren't driving. They weren't attacking. There was no need for the Pelicans to defend the rim. Their first half shot chart is garbage for the Jazz. They didn't take one shot right in front of the rim, like literally directly in front of the rim. They didn't take one for the first like quarter and a half until late in the second and really in the third when they started getting aggressive. They're, they were doing what we hate the Pelicans do, which is just sit, stand on the perimeter, sit on the perimeter and launch threes. You've got to attack that defense. You've got to break it down. They weren't doing that. And New Orleans was being aggressive and doing it to them and kind of taking it to them. And when Utah's missing threes and the Pelicans were getting boards and stops that way, they could get out and run and score. And you saw them be themselves. But then Utah in the second half came out looking like a different squad. They started chipping away at that Pelicans lead immediately because they were driving. Derek Favors, who's been important to the defense, was bad in this game. He couldn't move. He just looked slow, uh, like he was playing in a pool where everyone else is on land, essentially, and he just could not move around. The rim protection from him was not there. 
Now, Rudy Gobert makes things tough down low for you. Absolutely does. And you can see him seal off Derek Favors and screen Derek Favors out of plays down low. Uh, offensively for the Jazz. He does a lot of things that don't really get noticed. Just kind of blocking that guy and not letting Derek Favors go and try and contest a shot at the rim. But you saw Lonzo Ball get shook out in mid-range and on the perimeter, leading to dribble drives. Drew Holiday was really the only consistent perimeter defender, and he was locked down. He was all defensive first-team Drew Holiday in this one, really limiting a guy like Donovan Mitchell. You can only limit him so much, but Donovan Mitchell was 6 of 14, so under 43% in, in route to 20 points. 20 points is good. But that's a rough game-ish for Donovan Mitchell, and that's because Drew Holiday had the clamps out. But no one else gave him really any sort of support on the defensive side of the ball, particularly stopping a dribble drive. The Utah Jazz, which are playing a little bit uh, smaller right now, had 56 points in the paint. New Orleans had 48. That's not going to get it done. They shouldn't have allowed that much. And it's because that leaky perimeter defense. So we'll continue to talk about this game. We're going to get to Zion. We're also going to do it in the next segment, so you don't need to wait that long about this because I've got some thoughts on it. I want to try and talk a little bit more about the weird situation we're in with all of that too. So we're going to do that coming up here in just a minute. But today's show is also brought to you by my bookie. Say it with me now, whether we kind of enjoyed uh, last night's game or not, sports are back, and I've been waiting for this day since March, and now that it's here, I've only got one thing on my mind, my bookie. My bookie is a home run, slam dunk, triple overtime, game-winning shot, all wrapped up into one. I love it, you love it, and that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My bookie has up-to-the-minute odds on all of your favorite teams, whether it's basketball, Major League Baseball, it's never a better time to start playing and with my bookie it's easy you bet you win they pay simple as that are you feeling good about the Pels chances maybe you don't like the Lakers maybe you like the Clippers instead be sure to check out my bookies future bets nothing shows you believe in your squad like betting on them before the season's even begun but why stop with basketball look at baseball smart bettors are always looking towards the future and in this case that means basketball baseball hockey and football. My bookie's already accepting bets on all of your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games, and there's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. Join today, and my bookie will match your deposit 100%. Plus, they'll toss you a free $10 MOB future waiver, uh, wager. That is free money they're giving you right there. All you got to do is enter promo code Locked On NBA when signing up. That's promo code Locked On NBA when signing up. Remember, at my bookie, the terms are simple. You bet. You win, they pay. So in the last segment, we talked about how Derek Favors wasn't great defensively, and you really saw it when Utah hit the offensive boards. This isn't just a Derek Favors thing there, but he's supposed to help with that, right? Um, and he did end up with six defensive rebounds in the game that led the team, or sorry, second most on the team after seven for Brandon Ingram, and we'll touch on Ingram in a second too, because at least in the first half, he was really, really good in this one. But uh, defensive rebounding came back to bite New Orleans, and if you've heard me talking to all of those crossover editions of Locked On, shows that we did leading up to the bubble bubble teams here I said defensive rebounding could kill New Orleans giving up second chance points is a big big problem it was in this one they gave up 17 to the Utah Jazz you can't get out and run and play in transition nearly as well or effectively if you're inbounding the ball from underneath your own basket after an opponent makes a shot and giving up 17 second chance points 
that many opportunities with that many offensive rebounds, 15 for the, um, sorry, 12 for the Utah Jazz, that's not going to work. You're not terminating and ending possessions that way, leading to the type of offense that you want because, frankly, New Orleans isn't great in the half court. And by giving up those second-chance opportunities and those second-chance points to Utah, you're forcing yourselves to play in the half-court more, not what you want. You saw Jackson Hayes do a couple of things well with this. I thought his rebounding was pretty good, especially on the offensive side. But you saw him box out defensively too, which I think is important. Um, you saw a couple of strong rebounds from Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, even Lonzo Ball. They need more of that, and they need it more from the bigs. And maybe not having Zion in there is a bit of an issue, though he's not a great defensive rebounder. But this is something to watch going forward. That is a big, big problem. And yeah, there you go. That's part of the reason why they were doomed here too. I said in the open, there's a lot of reasons they lost this game. We've already mentioned like three or four of them so far. Uh, keeping in that theme, I'm not going to pin this on him. Lonzo Ball was not good. 12, or sorry, 2 of 13 shooting. 0 for 4 from 3 for 4 total points. Did have 7 assists, did have 6 rebounds, but you're not going to tell me, even the biggest Lonzo Ball stand can't tell me, that 2 of 13, 15.4% is good. You should not be happy with that. Empty offensive possessions. He wasn't doing those step back threes, so that's good. And he was kind of aggressive at times. You saw him trying. But he's not good at that. He needs, you know, we need him to do that a little bit, but he needs to grow his game more, significantly, significantly more. He, he didn't step up in this one like you need from him. It's just kind of as simple as that. Defensively, he wasn't great either. That's a bit of a problem. Uh, so yeah, there you go. He wasn't great. Like there's just not much more, more to say there. He's a starter. He played uh, 27 and a half minutes. You need more than two of 13 shooting from him and negative defense out there. Guy who was good, particularly in the first half, was Brandon Ingram. He led the team with 23 points on the night, going 7 of 20 from the field. So not great there. 2 of 8 from 3. And he took the final shot. New Orleans had a chance to win this one. As frustrated as we are with it, you know, they were in the running for this and in contention for this. It wasn't like this was a complete debacle and they got run out of the uh, HP Pavilion or HP whatever. They didn't get run out of the arena. So... They were in this one, and he got a decent look. He took a decent take to, for three to win as time was expiring. It basically went halfway down before it rimmed out. That's not a bad scenario to end up in. You know, you can criticize Gentry and the out-of-timeout stuff, which I think is overblown. That's a fine look. Like, you're going to be happy with that guy coming up in that situation with the ball. Just didn't convert, which is disappointing, don't get me wrong, but, you know, kind of is what it is. Sometimes it's simply a make-or-miss league. But he played well in the first half, particularly when he just got aggressive and got hot and was a bucket, man. He was out there scoring anyway, whether it was three, whether it was driving and attacking. He was doing exactly what you want to see from him. It's disappointing that he didn't come through in the clutch, but when you watch this again, the Pelicans weren't really creating the best shots for him. This was kind of a failing on the team down the stretch, I think, and not really just on Brandon Ingram not being clutch. This was a complete team failing offensively with it. A guy who was also good in this one was J.J. Redick. He was like that veteran pro in this one. Just three of eight from the field, but 21 points on the night off the bench in 26 minutes. Seven of 15. He was aggressive. He was driving. He was trying to play. He was playing like a guy who doesn't want his playoff streak to end. He was doing everything he could to keep the team kind of in place and getting out there and getting after it. And it was great to see that from him. If he can contribute in a variety of ways, running the offense, running the break, creating off the dribble, not just being a shooter, he had so much more than what he already adds to the team. 
And that's why New Orleans was in this one. You know, they were favored by two and a half. So you could argue that they were the better team, but the Jazz have the better record. They're missing Bogdanovich, uh, who's lit up New Orleans. But the Pels were at least in this one and didn't get run out. The second half was disappointing, yeah, after that second quarter that they put on. And we've got to figure out the stuff with Zion. But overall, they were pretty decent, I think. Like, this wasn't miserable, just inconsistent at times, looking like that good team we saw from the three scrimmages, and at times the team that started off the year and had it poorly and had a 13-game losing streak. Inconsistency, which is, you know, a hallmark of young teams and maybe should be expected, but still not great when every game feels a bit like a do-or-die scenario. Now the Pelicans in the final eight games are starting off 0-1. All right, so let's get into the Zion conversation here, and this is going to bleed over into the next segment, too, and how we're going to close out the show. So some just basic facts with this first. Let's set kind of like the baseline ground level thing for this. He was a game time decision, listed as questionable, went through, you you had Alvin Gentry come and speak to the media first. Then he said there that Zion is going to be a game time decision that he's going to have to go through warmups first, and they'll see how he does after the warmup. Goes through warmups, it comes out that he's going to play. Great. They say they're going to play him in short bursts, whatever that is. Short bursts. Zion bursts, we can call them. It turns out that means 15 minutes. It's about the same plan that they played him against the San Antonio Spurs back on January 22nd in his debut game. He actually played 18 minutes in that one, 15 minutes in this. There's an issue there which we'll touch on. And they do it to start quarters. He comes out and basically starts the quarter plays, comes out, starts the quarter plays, and doesn't close games. This is similar, again, to what happened with him with the San Antonio Spurs. It was a close game. We were frustrated that he wasn't closing it out. So they're following that script, and there's reasons for it, which we'll touch on. But be very clear in this, and this is not me just trying to defend Gentry for the sake of defending Gentry or because we're friends or something like that. Um, this is a decision that is out of Gentry's hands. And Gentry said as much after the game where he was very clearly frustrated because he knew these questions were coming. The medical staff said he could play 15 minutes, so Gentry played him the minutes that he was allowed to play him. It's, it's cut and dry. You can say that, oh, that shouldn't be the case or that the head coach should get to do more. What it, all of that doesn't fucking matter. The situation and the reality of the situation is there were 15 minutes for Zion Gentry played him those 15 minutes. It's cut and dry. It's simple. These are the facts. Now, everything else around this is weird. And let's get into that part in the next segment. Before I do that, though, make sure you start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today hosts Nyla Boodoo and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. Check out the Axios Today podcast. I love this. I love basically everything Axios does wherever you get your podcast from. All right, continuing on with the Zion situation. There's There's a lot to unpack here. There's no other way to kind of describe it. There's a lot to unpack and a lot of questions we have and they're not answered. And this is kind of how the team has responded. You remember when David Griffin took over and like coaches were given interviews left and right. There was a whole lot of media access. Then the season started and that all went away and we're left always. It feels like with more questions than answers and not a whole lot of clarity. And again, maybe it's fair or unfair, but Zion is always going to be the biggest thing with the team and it's going to overshadow and he's going to overshadow everything else and not having clarity around it is just going to make those questions come at you louder. And the Pelicans do this till it gets too loud. Then David Griffin talks to the media and things quiet down and we go through this whole cycle again. And it's fine if that's how they want to handle things, but things are getting kind of loud right now. Zion, who in theory is a 20 year old who's healthy, right? 
played fewer minutes in this NBA game than he did when he returned from the torn meniscus that he suffered at the start of the regular season that caused him to miss over half of the year. He played 18 against the San Antonio Spurs and just 15 here. Now, he was away from the team for eight days, quarantined in his hotel room for four. So that's 12 days potentially without any conditioning, any real serious on-court work. But then he went to two practices and a shoot-around and a warm-up, and they determined he could play. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend to have the answer on this. So if you're saying, well, why couldn't he play 18 minutes again? I don't know. There was probably a reason if the medical staff said so. I don't think they're just like picking numbers out of a hat here. There's probably a reason for it. We just don't have it, which means we're going to speculate and question things until there's more clarity given to us, if there is. So you need to live with that a little bit because I don't have the answers to you. And when you come to me saying he could have played 18 minutes, you don't know that. I don't know that. The only people that know that are with the team and they're the ones that would need to speak on it. Keep that in mind. Let that frame your discussion on all of this. But it's frustrating. You know, you could... Question then, why wouldn't Alvin Gentry play him to close out quarters so that you have him there for the fourth quarter if that's how you want to do it? But if you want him to get some run with the starters and not with the reserves, it doesn't work like that. you got to play him with the starters and when the starters play. And that's it. The start of halves at other times in quarters and you play him with those guys until he uses up all of his minutes, right? So if you play him to start the game or to start, say, the second half and then have him close out the second half. So start at the start of the third quarter, end of the fourth quarter. There's a huge break in between there. You're looking at potentially an hour between him, like a real time of him getting on the court or not. Maybe that's not the best way to go about it. Maybe it's to limit that. Maybe it's to make it 30 minutes or so and not let him get cold out there on the bench. I, I don't know for sure. It's guess, but it's a reasonable explanation on that, I think. The other thing is why not save some minutes for him, right? Play him 12 minutes throughout the game and then have... Uh, three minutes f- saved for the fourth quarter. But what if the game's not competitive? Then you've only played him 12 minutes. And that's not what you want if you don't play him in those final three minutes. Say the Pelicans kept their lead and you blow out the opposing team. You want to get him as much time on the court as possible. Those three minutes are important. So playing him 12 isn't a great option. And then if you play him the 15 in a meaningless fourth quarter, the extra three minutes, everyone's going to be like, Gentry, why are you doing this? So there's a no-win situation for Gentry here. And this is why it's maybe important for the Pelicans to speak up about it. And this isn't me defending Gentry. But this franchise, under different you know leadership groups here, first Del Demps, now David Griffin, have kind of hung him out to dry. He was the guy facing the firing squad media during the Anthony Davis stuff. And he was the guy facing the firing squad after the game last night and post-game availability. This is all out of his control. But yet he's the face of all of this and the one trotted out there and he takes the shots while other people stay quiet. It's not quite fair to him regarding all of this. But it's also going to create some narratives that I'm sure the Pelicans don't want. Is everything okay with Zion? I'm I'm not sure. You know, some of these quotes and everything that people said aren't exactly clarifying things. The quote he gave to um, in a question that was asked by Andrew Lopez of ESPN and it's quote It's not even just conditioning. It's just getting my flow to the game back. This is the NBA. This is the best players in the world, and you want to feel comfortable. I don't want to hurt my team more than I help them, in a sense, if you understand me. Now, his defense wasn't good in this game, and maybe he was actively hurting them on that side of the ball. But the, the defense was bad without him there. It was bad with Derek Favors out there. It was bad regardless in the fourth quarter. And they only scored 17 points in the fourth. So clearly, they needed some offense, too. 
So I don't know if I necessarily buy that entirely. The other thing is when he talked about kind of getting back into the flow, they said, is it difficult watching a game like that from the bench? And the obvious answer is yes. I'm trying to find exactly where the quote is um, on all of this. And he goes, it's frustrating for him because they could have shut him down. What? Like he said, it's not that frustrating because they could have just shut him down entirely. The team could have just shut him down. Here's the quote. Honestly, I don't know how long it'll take. I guess maybe a couple of games. It's frustrating, but it's not so frustrating because they probably, they could probably not even let me play, but I'm able to play. So I'm going to go do as much as I can while I'm out there. The hell? This is a guy who in theory is healthy because we haven't been told of any setbacks or anything like that. He said there were no setbacks. The only thing we're really supposed to question is the conditioning of 12 days of him not playing, right? We haven't heard any injury or anything like that. He was playing a full allotment of minutes uh, when the season was suspended. So why is this drop now if it's just not conditioning, right? But if he's saying they could just shut me down, you don't just shut down a healthy player. Like this is one of those things that I look at and I read and after everything, I don't understand it anymore. It really makes no sense to me. It doesn't make sense to anybody. You can question the other stuff, but there's explanations for some of that other stuff, I think. There truly is, and we address some of them here. That's weird. Why, why could they easily shut Zion Williamson down and not let him play? Now, they can. Maybe they're just going to be like, we're not going to play you, and it's a team. It's their decision, right? But if he's healthy, if he's able to play, you wouldn't do that. So we have... Far, far more questions than answers. And everything seems to contradict itself. And this is where someone needs to come in and set the record straight or provide some clarity. And maybe the noise will be loud enough that the Pelicans do that. But this is detrimental to a franchise that's trying to really build up their fan base. And that's kind of going starting at the ground floor. They're not starting from zero, but they are starting kind of at the bottom level. You're still in the lobby as you build all of this up. You know, trust with your fan base is really important. Trust that their money is well spent. Trust that their buy-in and their emotional energy they put into all of this is used well and not going to get burned. And when you don't provide clarity about the star player, the guy that everyone is, is going there to see, and there's weird things like that, shutting him down easily, what? That's where you're not going to get the buy-in from the fans and not earn that trust, and they're not going to support this franchise. And in... Uh, for a franchise and a team in a city that hasn't traditionally supported them nearly as well as they could, uh, that they would like, this isn't a great way to kind of start things. And this is something that could actively hurt you. You're not going to buy season tickets if you don't know what the fuck's going on. Sorry, I don't mean to swear, but you guys get what I'm trying to say. This is not how they really should go about approaching it. Maybe secrecy and keeping things close to the chest with Zion's more important for the long-term health of the franchise. And they know if we win, they will show up. And that is true. Maybe they don't care, but it's something to kind of consider from all of this. The Zion situation is bizarre. It's, is it conditioning or is it not? You kind of look at that quote he said to Andrew Lopez. It's not even just conditioning. Okay, he's not saying it's not conditioning. It sounds like by saying it's not even just conditioning, that's part of it, but there's also something else going on there, right? That's my read of this situation. It's, it's like the movie High Fidelity when, she, when he's talking about his ex and it's like, she goes, I haven't slept with him yet. Okay, cool. You haven't slept with your new boyfriend that made him feel better, but the yet means she wants to, right? 
Like I haven't, what's the line? I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet, but like you kind of plan on seeing Evil Dead 2. That's kind of how I read this. It's not even just conditioning. Well, conditioning is part of it, but there's also something else. So what's the other thing? And that's where people are frustrated with. And someone in the media who covers this, I have to talk about this. Zion is the biggest story about this. I should have led with this on today's show. Now, I didn't because the timeliness of the game is more important. This overshadows it, and I wanted to get to that stuff. But this is the biggest story. And everything about Zion with this or anything else he does, if he sneezes weird one day, it's going to be the biggest story. It is. Whether fair or unfair, he's going to be the biggest story ever with this team going forward as long as he's here. And that's why the Pelicans probably need to provide some clarity about this situation. It makes kind of no sense. Is there something else going on? It needs to be talked about, addressed, and at least maybe not the specifics of it, but it's just going to lead to other rumors and people questioning this. And that's kind of the situation we're in right now. It's weird. Like nothing about last night made any sense with any of this. You can sell me on a minutes restriction, but fewer than the, than what he played against the Spurs is weird. The other than the comments after it, Man, I don't know. How hard would it have been for Gentry to come out and say, you know, I was given 15 minutes. I don't want him to sit too long between, you know, uh, between uh, bursts or the medical staff doesn't want him to do that. Th that makes a ton of sense. I get it. But just say that. And they didn't. Like, if it was an easy answer, you figured they would have said it by now, right? But also it might be an easy answer. And just for whatever reason, they're not saying it. But because they don't say it, we, we do a show like this that's now gone 30 minutes. So maybe we'll get some clarity over the weekend. Maybe we can have a different discussion about this on Monday, and I hope we do. But that's as good of a spot as any to end today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So again, thank you all for listening. If you've been with me just starting today, if you've been with me for a while or any stretch in between, I appreciate it. You guys keep me going as much as I hope I keep you going and connected to the team at times too. Also, big thank you for MyBookie for sponsoring today's show. Join MyBookie and they will match your first deposit 100% plus a free $10 MLB future wa uh, wager. And don't forget, subscribe to Locked on Pelicans wherever you get your podcast from. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. We'll be back with you all on Monday. 